Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Great to see you here this morning, guys. I got to say, I am really enjoying this time uh, in life, this time as we move into this new chapter in North Bible Church. Getting to know all of you has been, has been great, and I appreciate, after last week, I appreciate all of you who came up to me after the service and introduced yourself so that uh, you could help me remember your name. A lot of you are really helpful in doing that. I think a lot of you were just messing with me and giving me a hard time, and so I appreciate that as well because I was asking for it last week, let's be honest, and, but now I know who to watch out for going forward. So, uh, But I've, I've enjoyed this time, guys, and it is a, it, it, I'm really excited this week to get started into our new series called True North. If you were here with us last week, you know that I previewed the series and talked about uh, the fact that this is a very short but very important and essential series that we're going through. And we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks what it means for us to be the church and where we believe that God is leading us as we move into this new life stage, this new chapter of North Bible Church. And we're going to be talking about that this week and the following two weeks as we move forward. And as we begin, I know this is part of the process of getting to know each other. Part of the process is you getting to know me. And so I think for many of you, you're asking the question of what is going to change? How are things going to look as we go forward? We may have been one way for 15 years as North Bible Church kind of moving in a certain direction. And now how are things going to change? And although I know that it might satisfy curiosity to kind of go through a laundry list of things that may or may not change, I don't think that's really the best way to approach it this morning. First of all, because I just don't even know what those things would be, um, if they do and if they might change. And secondly, I think it's a little bit like putting the cart before the horse to talk about it in, terms, in those kinds of terms. I think what's more important for us, and it's something we're going to establish throughout this series, is why might, why might we change? And why is it that we are the church that we are? And who is it that we're going to be as we move forward together? And that's what this series is all about. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about True North as this idea that is a fixed point of reference that is the most important thing for us as we're being pulled forward into the future. And as I said last week, not only is this the title of this series a very, very, very clever way of having a kind of play on words with the name of our church, but it is also a navigational term. True north is what sets a compass facing north so that once you have north established, you can then establish what is west, what is east, what is south, and every other direction. True north is also a fixed point on the planet where all the longitudinal lines on the planet meet at one place, and then they all proceed from that place. We also know that as the North Pole. And so metaphorically speaking, this represents for us what it looks like for us to be going forward with a fixed point of reference in mind, to make sure that everything that we do, even changes that may need to be made, are focused still coming from that one point of reference, True North. And so what is True North for us here at North Bible Church? Well, that's what we're, of course, going to be talking about over the next three weeks. We're going to begin this morning by talking about the true king and his kingdom. And then next Sunday, we're going to continue to talk about true calling or the true mission of Jesus. And then finally, the third week, we're going to get to the idea of the church true people, what it looks like to be Jesus' true kingdom people called on mission. And I want you to notice a couple of things while those things are still up on the screen. First of all, these are all in deliberate order according to priority. So, so that we have to understand who the true king is and what his kingdom is all about, which we're going to be talking about today, and then understand what his true mission is, what his true calling is, before we even get to the discussion of who the church is supposed to be. And notice that the discussion about the church is the very last week, because 
I, I firmly believe this, that any discussion about the church that doesn't have these first two things in place is a discussion that misses the point. So we've got to establish these first two things before we move to the third thing of what is the church going to look like. And this morning, so to begin, we're going to be talking about the true king and his kingdom, as I mentioned. And to begin this morning, I want to ask you just kind of a baseline question. Really basic question, really foundational question, a question probably that you feel like you know the answer to, but I want to encourage you to think about it a little bit more deeply this morning. What is the Bible? What is the Bible? It's a foundational question, right? It's a question we should probably be able to answer for us. It's actually in the name of our church, North Bible Church. So we should be able to answer that question, right? Um, certainly as Christians, we consider the Bible to be God's word. Here at North Bible Church, we consider it to be authoritative in all areas and all aspects of our life. It's certainly, we teach and we preach from the Bible here. If you're a Christian, you may read the Bible from time to time, hopefully. And so it seems like we should have an answer for that, right? What is the Bible? Yet in my experience, I've found that people answer that simple foundational question in all kinds of different ways. For instance, I've heard people refer to the Bible as kind of like, or at least treat the Bible as more like an inspirational book. And so the Bible is an inspirational book that provides some kind of general spiritual encouragement, and when I open the scriptures, I'm just looking for something to encourage me through my day. So I'll open the Bible, I'll go through my devotional, and I'll find a verse that really inspires me, and maybe I'll make it into like a little, you know, Facebook post and send it out on Facebook to encourage other people. And that becomes what the Bible is for me, a spiritual, inspirational type book. For others, they consider the Bible to be more of kind of like a spiritual GPS or like a Google Maps app, right, where the Bible gives us teaching and guidance and wisdom so that we can navigate life a little bit better and so that we don't get lost. And the reason God has given us his teaching is so that we can live life to the best of what we have in front of us and make sure that we don't have to do any U-turns or detours. And I would say that while the Bible certainly has inspirational parts in it, and while the Bible certainly has great wisdom and guidance for life, I don't know that that's the full picture of what the Bible is actually supposed to be. I want you to imagine for a second that somebody who is maybe a coworker of yours or a friend of yours or a family member of yours who has never read the Bible before but they know that you're a Christian and they know that you read the Bible, came to you and said, you know, and asked you that question, what is the Bible? How would you respond? You know, several years ago, I was working at a church as a discipleship pastor, and I had a guy email me because one of my roles was to, to decide as a church what we were going to do in our classes and our small groups as far as curriculum goes. And so he had this curriculum that he had put together, and he emailed me and he said, hey, I'd like to present this to you. I'd like to take you out to lunch at this nice restaurant and uh, I never turned down free lunches at nice restaurants. And so I went, I, I'll turn down free lunches at bad restaurants, but this was a really nice restaurant. And so I thought, you know, I'll go and listen to this guy's pitch and I'll order the steak and it'll be great, right? And so I show up and I was really impressed. We sit down in the booth and I was really impressed. He pulls out his Bible study, this Bible study that he had produced on his own. And I was really impressed with the way it looked. It was nice and thick. It was, you could tell it was professionally produced and professionally bound. It's all kind of really nice and glossy on the front. And he slides it across the booth to me, across the table to me. And, uh, and, I, and I read the title, and I looked at the title. And I had to keep myself from cringing, because it really was cringeworthy. <laughs> he, had made an, he had made, because he had used the word Bible and made an acronym out of it, 
And he said, he, across the top, it said B-I-B-L-E. And the acronym was basically this phrase, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. And I got to tell you, I didn't even open the study guide to look at it. I felt bad about that, kind of. But at the same time, I thought to myself, if that is all that the Bible is, I appreciate this guy's love for God's word, and I appreciate the effort that he put into this study guide, but if the Bible is just about a bunch of moralisms and basic instructions about living on life on earth a little bit better, and I'm not sure that that's exactly the Bible study we want to go through as a church. And here's the thing I want to present to you this morning. I think there's a better way and a more faithful way of looking at God's word. I want to offer for you three, these three ideas. First of all, that the Bible is God's word. When we say that the Bible is God's word, it doesn't just, it's not just a synonym for the word Bible. It's not just another creative way of referring to the Bible. It is literally saying that we believe that this is God's personal word that has been given to us. That our God who has created us is a personal God and he wants to be known and so he's chosen to reveal himself through his words in meaningful ways that we will understand. And so he doesn't create us and leave us in a place where we're meant to wonder, where did we come from? What is this world all about? Who put us here? Where are we going? His word speaks directly, personally to us about all of those things. And most importantly, it personally reveals the God who has written it to us. So the Bible is first and foremost God's word. Secondly, the Bible is God's story. The Bible itself is written as what we know as a meta-narrative. And if you're not familiar with that term, all it means is the big story. And it's not just a big story. It's not just one of the stories of many. It is, it, when, the Bible's, when the Bible is, we say the Bible is a meta-narrative, it means that it is the true story, the one true story about everything that exists, everything that has existed, and the entire scope of human history in terms of where it's going and why it's going there. So the Bible is God's word, formed in God's story with its purpose of being revealing God's king. Now, the Bible's about many things, and we see many smaller stories going through the Bible. But at the same time, from Genesis to Revelation all the way through, the one thread that is consistent from beginning to end is that this wonderful meta-narrative, this wonderful big story, is all about a king and his kingdom. I love the way Nick Rourke puts it. He says this, The story of Scripture is God's story. It's the story of God the King. The Bible begins and ends with a glorious God, one who is the sovereign ruler and creator of all things. The story of Scripture is the King's story. It's all about Him and all about His glory. So when we open up the Bible then, if we're going to read it on its own terms, we need to be aware of the fact that Scripture is always focused on the story of the King and His kingdom. That from beginning to end, no matter where we're reading, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Old Testament's pointing forward consistently to the coming king who is Jesus. And in the New Testament, we see it pointing both back to the first coming of Jesus and then forward to the second coming of the arrival of King Jesus in his full glory at the full consummation of the kingdom. And so this story about the king is central, and I think it's important for us to really understand this, because everything else that comes to us through Scripture comes through us through the King 
and his kingdom. And yes, the Bible is inspirational. And yes, the Bible gives us guidance and wisdom and all those wonderful things. And yes, it is immensely practical. But those things come to us through the king and his kingdom. And if we forget that, it's kind of like when we take Jesus out of the story or we forget that Jesus is the central focus of the story, this true king, it's kind of like taking the engine out of a car. The car may look good on the outside, it may look like it's ready to run, but when you go to start it, it doesn't do the thing that it's supposed to do, which is to actually get you from point A to point B. It doesn't move and it doesn't have any substance or horsepower behind it because the engine is missing. I want to show you what this looks like because I think this is really important for us to understand. I think it's tempting for us, more tempting than maybe it seems at times for us to remove Jesus as the central focus of the biblical story and sometimes to insert ourselves in the place, in that place. I think many times we are tempted, and this is kind of the bent of our sinful nature, we are tempted to approach Scripture and approach the story of Scripture more, more from the perspective of how Jesus can participate in my life story rather than how we are participating in Jesus' kingdom story that's already written. I want to show you what this looks like. I think this is the culture that we swim in, by the way. It doesn't help that our hearts tend to bend that way, and it also doesn't help that this is kind of the culture that we swim in. That in the end, the real king is not really Jesus. The real king is me. Mark Sayers, theologian Mark Sayers, puts it this way. He says, our culture wants the kingdom without the king. I think that's so profound. I think it's true. This morning I brought with me a, an example of what I believe that looks like. Um, this is a video clip from uh, Oprah Winfrey's appearance on the, Stephen, on the Late Show with Stephen Colbert a few weeks ago. I don't know if you guys saw this, but they got into a discussion, Oprah Winfrey and uh, you know, Stephen Colbert are talking about faith and spirituality as things typically go with Oprah. And they get into this discussion, they recognize that they're both Bible readers, and so they get into this discussion about what is your favorite Bible verse? And uh, the whole interview is pretty interesting. I just kind of clipped this one part. It's about a minute or so, which is Oprah's response to this question of, what is your favorite Bible verse? And then she kind of goes into this explanation of uh, what she believes that verse means from Psalm 37. And what I want you to do is, as you're looking at this, I want you to think to yourself, what exactly is going on here? How does she end up getting to the conclusion that she gets to? Because, spoiler alert, it's going to go off the rails pretty quickly within 50 seconds. Maybe you're surprised, maybe you're not about that. But let's take a look at it. All right, so, um, wow, where to start with that? Here's, here's the thing. Oprah takes, and, and that, it hurts my soul to watch this in some ways, because she takes this wonderful verse from Psalm 37, which, by the way, is not ambiguous, right? It is not this kind of, like, she throws in there and says, like, you can make the Lord really whatever you want. It can be goodness, it can be kindness, it can be all kinds of different things. This is one of the most unambiguous words, most specific words in all of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, this word Lord. Whenever you see the word L-O-R-D in capital letters in your Old Testament, it's referring to the covenant name of Yahweh. It is a specific personal name that is unambiguous. It's about as specific as you could possibly get. And she takes it, and it says to us, Delight yourselves in the person of the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, which is parallelism, and the psalmist is basically saying this. If you delight yourselves in the Lord, you will find that he is the most satisfying thing you can possibly find on this earth and in this world, and so he will satisfy the desires of your heart. Now what Oprah does in kind of an inspirational slash moralistic way 
is replace the person of God with just all kinds of these inspirational ideas about goodness and whatever you put out into the world kind of comes back to you and those kinds of things. And so it's not surprising that this verse then, and her interpretation then devolves into this whole thing where within 30 seconds she's talking about how this verse talks, how this verse refers to some kind of scientific law, and then it refers to karma, and then as Colbert points out, yeah, it sounds a lot like the New Age book, The Secret. And that's exactly what it is. Guys, that's exactly what it looks like when we replace the true king with all kinds of ideas that are contrary to what this verse is supposed to mean, for example. It's what happens when the king is taken off his throne and replaced with anything and everything. And this isn't something, I mean, this is the spirit of our age, but it's not anything that's new. It's been happening since the very beginning. If we go back to the book of Genesis, we see that the serpent tempted Adam and Eve with this very thing. Because what the serpent knows, what the enemy knows, if he can detach you from your personal connection with the Lord, he'll give you all these other things of virtues and goodness and all these things that you think are so wonderful. He'll give you something that looks like the kingdom without the king as long as he can get you away from focusing on the king. In the garden, he goes to Adam and Eve and he says to them what? Did God really say you can't eat from that tree? You know why he doesn't want you eating from that tree? He's holding out on you. He knows that if you take a piece of fruit from that tree and you take a bite, you'll be just like him, knowing good from evil. In other words, you can be your own king. Why be ruled by someone else, especially this king, who claims to be good and yet he holds out on the very best thing for you? You can be your own king. Just go your own way. It's the exact same thing that we've been tempted with from the very beginning. And it's something, really, that the early church actually struggled with as well, that we still struggle with today. Because, look, Satan is doing the same thing over and over and over again. He doesn't need to change the tactic because it's been terribly effective throughout the years. It's the same book with a different cover today as it was back in the garden. In fact, we see from the book of Colossians, and if you want to open up to Colossians this morning, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1 and talking about this. Let's see from the book of Colossians. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in the ancient city of Colossae. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul responds to what the Colossians were dealing with at the time. They were, uh, in many ways, as we, as we read the letter, we can see that in many ways the Colossians were doing well, but they were struggling with one thing in particular. And it's very similar to the culture that we face, but it was the threat of all these kind of false doctrines and beliefs that were encouraging them to think of Jesus as something less than a king, as more like either a religious teacher or a wise rabbi. And in that case, it affected their devotion to Jesus, and Paul saw this. It's part of the reason why he wrote this letter to the church. Because if Jesus' kingship is undermined in our hearts, then our devotion to Jesus changes as well. Because if Jesus is just a moral teacher, or he's just another rabbi, then we can grab some of Jesus' teachings and we can grab some of the teachings from the Greek philosophers, we can grab some teachings from this pagan religion, kind of throw them all into the blender and come out with our own spiritual smoothie. And that's kind of what the Colossians were struggling with. And I want you to see what Paul does here with Colossians 1. This is what takes the form of um, kind of a theological poem, but it's a beautiful description of Paul bringing the focus of the Colossians back to the beauty of the true king. And you're going to see kind of these elements of the entire story of God as he brings it together in these verses. But it says here in verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, 
the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So then you see Paul starts at the beginning of this grand story, even pre-creation. And he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and he is the firstborn of all creation, which is not to say that Jesus was created in any way, but to say, as Paul says in verse 16, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Everything we see, everything we don't see, was all created by him, through him, and for him. Which is more than just repetitive emphasis. Paul's adding something in each one of these prepositional phrases to our understanding of what it means for Jesus to be over all things. They were created by him. In other words, he was eternal God with God the Father and God the Spirit creating. And through him, all things were brought to life and given life. And then he holds all things together through him from one moment to the next as he accomplishes his purposes, leading all the way into the redemption of all things by his blood on the cross. And then all things were created for him, for his glory. We all find the meaning of everything that exists, including our own lives, by glorifying the one who is the true king. And as you see this play out, then Paul comes to this conclusion where he says, all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in him. That means he is the perfect, visible representation of who God is. He is the perfect, visible representation, the revelation of God. And so Paul says to the Colossians, look, here is your king. Here is your true divine king. He's more than a rabbi who taught wise things. He does more than just kind of point to the truth. He actually is the truth. And it's remarkable what Paul does here because as we talked about earlier, the Colossians were struggling with believing all these other kinds of belief systems and Greek philosophy and all these other things. And Paul doesn't address those things head on. He doesn't address the false doctrines and say, look, this is why this is false. He doesn't go into kind of this diatribe on Christian apologetics. Those things have their place, but at the same time, the first thing he does, the thing that he does right from the outset is says, is present to them the glory of the true king. Because he knows that if the Colossians can latch on to that, if they can see the beauty and the splendor and the majesty of the true king Jesus, then all other things will fade into the background. The lesser glories and the lesser splendors pale in comparison to the great splendor. The lesser truths and the falsehoods pale in comparison to the true king. And yes, even that false kingship that tries to rise up in me to take the throne. You may have seen this, but, uh, you may have seen this, but about a month ago, a couple of very high-profile Christians went on Instagram, on their Instagram account, and basically renounced their faith. They said they're no longer Christians one guy, is a, one guy was a pastor and a, and a well-known author by the name of Joshua Harris. You may or may not know who he is. If you, you may be familiar with the book. He wrote a book 
Uh, he's written a few books, but his most famous and well-known book was a book that was written about 20 years ago called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Anybody familiar with that? Um, I'm really familiar with that book because I was in college at the time. I was just kind of getting into college, and that book was being read by everybody around. It was being read by, like, guys I was going to church with, and I even read the book. And, and it sold something like uh, close to a million copies, I think it sold over the, 20, over the past 20 years or so which is really remarkable for a dating book and especially remarkable for a Christian dating book that tells you that dating is wrong. It's pretty amazing. And so he's written this book, and he's, he was also a pastor, I think, of a large church. And recently, about a month ago, he posted that he was divorced, he was getting a divorce from his wife, and then a few days later posted that he was no longer a Christian. Um, and then a few days after that, a guy by the name of Marty Simpson, or Sampson, who was a uh, part of Hillsong for about 20 years, the Hillsong worship team for about 20 years, did pretty much the same thing. Went on Instagram and said, I'm no longer a Christian, and here are the reasons why. And Marty Sampson is a guy who is also a songwriter with Hillsong, and so over the past 20 years, he's written several worship songs, many of them that we've probably sung uh, repeatedly um, throughout the past several years, past 20 years or so, and they've been sung all over the world by millions of people. And I want to read for you just a snippet of each one of their quotes and what they say here. First of all, Joshua Harris, he says this, look, the information that was left out of our announcement, which he was referring to his announcement about his divorce, is that I have undergone a massive shift in my regard to faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all measurements that I have defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. To my Christian friends, I am grateful for your prayers. Don't take it personally if I don't immediately return your calls. I, I can't join you in your mourning. I don't view this moment negatively. I feel very much alive and awake and surprisingly hopeful. I believe with my sister Julian that all shall be well and all manner of thing shall be well. Marty Sampson said this, Time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. Like what bothers me now is nothing. I am so happy now, so at peace with the world, it's crazy. I am not in anymore. I want genuine truth, not just the quote-unquote, I just believe it kind of truth. Science keeps piercing the truth of every religion. Lots of things help people change their lives, not just one version of God. Got so much more to say, but for me, I keep it, I'm keeping it real. Unfollow if you want. I've never been about living my life for others. All I know is what's true to me right now, and Christianity seems like just another religion at this point. I could go on, but I won't. Love and forgive, absolutely. Be kind, absolutely. Be generous and do good to others, absolutely. Some things are good no matter what you believe. Let the rain fall and the sun will come up tomorrow. So here's a well-known pastor, sold almost a million books, and a well-known, one of the most influential probably, a member of one of the most influential worship bands of the last 30 years. Millions of people sung their songs, millions of people have read their books. And my purpose this morning in showing you this is not to condemn them, not to judge them in any way, but to say this, look, if it, but to ask the question, what, what happened? Because if guys like this who have given the better part of their lives to following Jesus and to being in ministry and to producing these things that lead people to understand who Jesus is can come to a place like this, it's a scary realization that it can happen really to anyone. And look, they explain, I think a couple of things jump out here right away as I look at this. First of all, I notice that right away these guys affirmed things that are a part of biblical teaching. Things like 
love and grace and truth and kindness and generosity and goodness. If you read the longer quote of Joshua Harris, he even talks about repentance being a good thing. And so there's a picture of guys who want the kingdom, but of course they don't want the king. And then secondly, the second thing I noticed is how self-absorbed each of these posts are. And I think some of that has to do with just Instagram. It's probably the most self-absorbed place on the planet. But at the same time, I think this is symptomatic of what happens when we replace the true king with something else. Because what happens is as we move the true king off of the throne of our hearts and our focus, there's a vacuum that's created there. And that throne is always going to get filled with something. We were created as beings who were meant to serve a king and meant to worship something. That is how God has created us. And so when the true king is gone, ultimately we will replace it with something. And nine times out of ten, what we replace it with is ourselves. And so what you see is men who are basically saying, I've decided that I'm free and I am now my own king. I decide what's good, I decide what's right. I'm spiritual, but I don't need that whole religious thing. Kind of reminds me of what Tim Keller once said. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. And that's why we're starting here with my first sermon as lead pastor. Because I believe that if we miss the fact that the true king is the true king, and if that true north is not set in front of us and we fight with every fiber of our being to keep him as the one who is glorious, to keep him as the one who is, who, who is full of splendor and majesty and rightfully on the throne, just a deviation of two degrees eventually leads us to a place of 180 degrees away. And if I'm guessing, this is exactly what's happened with these men. Two degrees at a time, forgetting to correct according to true north, the true king. And before you know it, you're 180 degrees away. Look, this is the most important thing I can get across to you this morning. Jesus is the point of it all. He is the point of Scripture. The Bible is given to us so that we would know who Jesus is. He is the point of your salvation. Your salvation is given to you, received by faith, so that you can know Jesus. He is the point of your life. He is the point of your eternal life. You have life so that you can glorify Jesus here, and you'll have eternal life so that you can glorify him forever as king. This is the centrality of who the true king is meant to be. And this is the point of the entire series, that Jesus must be preeminent. That word preeminent from Colossians 1 means first. It doesn't mean first in time only. It means first in everything. First in authority, first in focus, first in source. Gary Burge says this, Look, Jesus has come to unveil the truth to the world, not to point out true things as he finds them, but to unveil himself. Truth is what we see when we see God. Jesus is thus the truth. And so look, if we miss that, if we miss the true king, we might as well just pack up and go home. Go watch the Cardinals lose another game, or something like that. <laughs> Sorry, that's low-hanging low fruit. This is the point of it all. He is the truth, but he is also love, he is grace, he is mercy, he is goodness, he is generosity, and he is kindness. You cannot have the kingdom without the king. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we stand here this morning, we are amazed 
at the wonder of who you are. Lord, it'll take all of eternity for us to fully glorify you the way that is fitting for you. And as we live this life now, Lord, I pray that the glory and the majesty and the splendor of who you are would drown out all other things that compete for the throne in our lives, that compete for our attention, that compete for our eye, that compete for our focus, that compete for our hearts. Because, Lord Jesus, we know that there is no one more beautiful, no one more wonderful than you. And as we pray this morning and as we worship this morning, we know that just as your word says from Colossians chapter 1, that you are the image of the invisible God, that in all things the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in you, and that all things, not just some things, not just things that we see, not just things that we don't see, but all things seen and unseen, spiritual and physical, everything that exists, Lord Jesus is created by you, through you, and for you. May we rest in that, and Lord, I pray that you would give us an extra measure of your spirit to fight with every fiber of our being to keep you as a true king in all circumstances and situations. You would truly be the king of our lives, and that we would be pleased with that. From Psalm 37, may we delight in the Lord, and may we find that we are satisfied in him. We pray all these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. got the look, Larry, by the way. He just gave me the look to, yeah, get up here. So I've experienced that now, which is nice. Hey, so this morning, guys, you may notice that this series is not necessarily anything new or hugely unique or profound. In fact, it lines up exactly with what our focus is and has been as North Bible Church. Love God, love one another, and love the world. And so there's nothing tricky about this. There's nothing hidden about this. God doesn't want to hide from us. He gives us very clearly what his will and desire is for our lives. The struggle comes in how we walk this out and how we live this out. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We're told to guard our hearts constantly. And so this morning, um, as we begin our series, and I'm not typically into these kinds of things because I find them kind of gimmicky, but I think this is helpful for us this morning. As we start our first series this morning, and I think we've got this set up, right? I want to make sure we do. You get a thumbs up, maybe? Yes? Thumbs up. Okay, great. I want you to grab one of these. This is a keychain with a compass in the middle on it. It's got a carabiner on it. That's how you say the word, carabiner. Um, it's got a carabiner on it with a compass, and it's a keychain. And what I want you to do is just take one of these with you and allow it to be the thing that reminds you to focus and to fight for true north in your life, to see the true King Jesus above all is most beautiful. Put it on your keychain. Allow it to be a prayer as you grab this thing throughout the day to guide you to true north. 
Go in the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.